Welcome to Fireside Chats with Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. My name is Emma Russell and I am the Events and Outreach Director. These Fireside Chats are short conversations with Utah citizen diplomats who are reformulating the American worldview from one of despair to one of hope during a time of multiple crises. We hope that the embers of this conversation will light a fire in you and a spark of excitement for the future ahead. Today, I'm excited to introduce Nathaniel Coleman, a professional climber and part of the four-member USA Olympic climbing team, which will be debuting as a sport for the first time in Tokyo 2021 this year, um, this upcoming year. I am so excited to have you join us today, so welcome. Thanks, Emma, I'm excited to be here. I wanted to, so I want to talk a bit about how climbing can give you a connection to the outdoors that might be um, deeper than a connection that you would find maybe just hiking through uh, like a well-made trail um, and how that connection to the outdoors can motivate the climbing community especially to protect uh, these places that we utilize and that we want to preserve for the future generation. So to start, uh, I, I believe it to be a fact that being in nature is good for the human well-being. Um, through experiences like being in the middle of a forest uh, with no distractions, you can find a meditative calm. Being in the shadow of a mountain, you can find humility. And there's really no cause to these effects that you could put your finger on. So it's a bit of a phenomenon. And, you know, I believe that to be a fact. So independent of climbing, nature is good for the human soul. So now when we get climbing mixed into it, uh, the equation changes a bit in my eyes. So let's talk about uh, bouldering, which is one specific discipline of climbing. Um, you don't use any ropes or quick draws. Um, you only use shoes for your feet, chalk for your hands, and a crash pad to land on to keep you safe. And a crash pad is pretty much a piece of thick, hard foam um, that's nicer to land on than the ground. So take a boulder, put them in the middle of the forest, and put a rock in front of them. And you'll see this wild phenomenon happen. For no apparent reason, they'll start to try to get on top of the rock. And sometimes they'll try to take the hardest way up. It really makes no sense. And so you'll see this climber struggle. They'll wrestle through handholds and footholds, use their mind and body to figure out a solution. And breathing hard, they finally stand on top of the boulder. There is no applause. There's only birds chirping and trees photosynthesizing. Nothing in the world has changed other than the climber is now standing on top of the rock. But for the climber, their whole world has changed. Um, and in this way, climbing is a selfless pursuit. We do it not to change the world, but to change our own world in a way. And throughout this uh, experience, the climber will experience a spectrum of emotion. Uh, to start, they may feel fear and doubt and anxiety, but through focus and perseverance, they can start to feel hope and confidence. And finally, 
upon succeeding and standing on top of the boulder, they feel a wave of gratitude. And I think that these strong emotions can be what roots a climber's heart to the outdoors and gives us this sense that we need to protect this pointless rock. So to a climber, it may seem, or to a non-climber, it may seem silly, but to a climber, the rocks are almost considered sacred. Uh, to graffiti or deface or harm the boulder or its environment in any way is like a cardinal sin in the climbing community. Um, these rocks are like a catalyst for our happiness and we want to protect them and pass them down onto our next generation to love them and protect them in the same way that we did. So I guess maybe the best way to uh, illustrate the concept of climbers trying to protect our environment is uh, with some examples. So the climbing community that I'm a part of in Salt Lake City um, is uh, very dependent on Little Cottonwood Canyon. It's a historic climbing area. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of great rocks, small and big. And uh, every year, the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance hosts multiple trail building, uh, graffiti removal, trash cleanup events, and we have anywhere from like 10 people to 30 people show up, depending on which event it is. This happens year after year. It's not even like the same 10 people that show up. It's kind of like a rotating volunteer list um, to like preserve this area that, you know, could be taken for granted, but for one reason or another, we choose to do what we can to protect it. Uh, in Southern Utah, Joe's Valley is almost like a world-class area, to be honest. People come from overseas to climb there. And I've seen the climbing community rally not only to protect the climbing area itself, but the surrounding town and communities of Orangeville. They had a, there's a pretty famous story now in the climbing community, we're proud to tell it, that uh, the city of, uh, the city of Castledale had a town cleanup scheduled and they posted flyers everywhere and three or four climbers they saw it and they were having a rest day and so they thought well we got nothing better to do we might as well go help clean up the town and they were the only ones that showed up uh, and so all the town folks they started calling each other and they were like what, what are we doing uh, you know these climbers are cleaning up our city but we're not out there helping them and so they came out and they met the climbers and uh, it fostered this connection from a rural community to this eccentric, like crazy culture of climbers. And yeah, I think, I think that's a beautiful. Um, one of my favorite organizations in climbing is Memphis Rocks. They are a climbing gym in Tennessee that will not turn away anybody based on their ability to pay. So they're mostly supported by donations, and uh, they've been in business now for, I think, three years, and they're doing fantastic work. Um, they're allowing underrepresented communities in climbing to 
that experience of climbing and foster this connection to climbing, which can really change your life if you commit yourself to it. And they're able to do it um, even though they can't pay. Recently, there was a, an oil rig proposed um, four kilometers away from Fontainebleau in uh, France. And it's a, an incredibly historic area. Maybe, maybe the most historic area in the climbing community. Um, and we had over 75,000 signatures on a petition to stop the oil drilling that would jeopardize the, the environment and uh, the cleanliness of the boulders that surround it. So yeah, those are my examples of uh, the climbing community standing up for what it believes in. And I just wanted to end with a quote from Yvonne Chouinard. Um, you have a whole life in the outdoors. You realize you have a sense of responsibility to protect these wild places. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. I, I mean, one of the huge reasons why I wanted to have you here is because there's a lot that goes into having sports that are in the outdoors, right? You're, you have to respect the space that you're operating in. Um, and I've heard these stories so many times about how when climbers are here, or abroad, they're really trying to give back to those communities, whether it's picking up the trash um, in that town or it's helping to preserve the area and the park that they are operating in. Um, and that's something that I think just speaks to everyone, whether they're climbers or not. It's you have to respect these spaces that we are living in. Um, and so that was, I love the examples that you were able to provide. So when COVID happened and it kind of stalled your plans, Nathaniel, for the summer and your life. Um, how have you been able to kind of refocus and fo look towards the future? What have you been able to kind of center on to keep yourself focused? So COVID, uh, in a way, it was uh, a very welcome break for me. I had been training and preparing for the Olympics for nearly two years with hardly a break and uh, I didn't know it, but I was feeling quite exhausted of competition. And so uh, during this time, I've been able to kind of put my regular training regimen on hold and connect more with climbing outdoors, which is something that I don't get to do as often. And it's been incredibly refreshing. Since COVID, uh, do you think you were able to do more like outreach programs like this and and uh explain like your uh your views on climbing in the outdoors my schedule as far as uh events like this hasn't changed much um and i i will admit that i haven't done as much as i could to you know facilitate events like this but um i have seen for the climbing community as a whole i have seen uh this time be a great opportunity of like learning um, and becoming more active in the things that we find important. Great, thanks, Nate. So I've got a question. What's your uh, familiarity with the Honold Foundation and like Alex's work with bringing uh, solar energy to a more equitable world and, and 
uh, more people being able to have solar energy that really can't afford it? And uh, like, what are your thoughts on Alex having this foundation? I would say that uh, Alex is my biggest role model in the climbing community, um, not only for his incredible climbing ability, but more because of the way that he uses his platform, he uses his income and fame to really make a change in the world that uh, that he connects with. Um, I mean, the the solar panel initiative. It seems like an like an incredibly basic thing to provide that can make such a difference for so many people. Um, I think that if I could ever have a tenth of the impact that he's had on the world, I would die happy. Thanks again uh, for the, the Utah Council on Citizen Diplomacy and Nathaniel Coleman. Uh, my question is related to Nathaniel's perspective on sites like Devil's Tower and other sacred spaces. From your perspective, how has the climbing community reconsidered its position on desirable sites to climb versus honoring the request of indigenous peoples? Has there been more attention to it or do you feel like conflict still exists? Personally, don't know a lot about the Devil's Tower. Um, the controversy, could you call it? Um, but from from my impression of the direction that the climbing community has gone um, during during the Black Lives Matter like resurgence and uh, the way that we've taken to it and also taken to to respecting um, indigenous people's lands and their wishes, uh, I would I would hope that we are able to, you know, withhold our desire to climb um, when it harms another community. I think that there's so much rock in the world to climb. And, uh, you know, just having, you know, the devil's tower, if they ask us not to climb on it, I say fine. We have hundreds of thousands of other towers very similar to it. Um, if we can preserve that connection to the indigenous community, then I think that that's more important than a climbing experience. Um, that being said, I, if there is any way of uh, coming to uh, an agreement or uh, a compromise, um, that that would be amazing because, uh, yeah, Devil's Tower means it means a lot to the climbing community as well. So you talked about uh, cleanups in like Little Cottonwood Canyon. Um, so how far in would you guys go doing that? Or would you just go like the surrounding, like the roads or how far up in the actual wilderness would you go to clean up? So we stay, we focus most of our work on the most popular areas, which are within five, maybe 10 minutes walk of the road. Um, yeah. And, and that's only in my experience. I haven't, uh, I haven't been to, all of the cleanups. Um, they've also had a like rebolting initiative. So when uh, we place these like metal bolts into the wall to use for protection as we climb, and over time they rust and they become unsafe to climb on. So there's been a big initiative recently to replace a lot of the bolts on really old routes. And for those, I mean, you have to get way out there. And uh, I know that they kind of combine those long treks with. Uh, you know, they just carry a trash bag and uh, they clean up as they go as well. Awesome, thank you.
So I'm down here in Southern Utah um, in Hurricane right near Zion National Park. And I was just curious how we can encourage not only other people that do engage themselves in the outdoors, but also climbers I've also seen as well. Um, how can we inspire them to further practice more LNT, also known as leave no trace uh, practices? Is there any? Oh man, that's a tough one. I, I think the, the classic answer that I've heard is um, education a big, big part of like climbing history is mentorship um 30 40 years ago pretty much the only way that you got into climbing was through a mentor showing you the ropes literally and uh i think that that's something as this that's something that's become less common as climbing gyms have become this massive industry across the united states and uh so i think that the responsibility now falls on the climbing gyms that are introducing people to climbing to offer these resources and education materials to inspire people to know why it's important to leave no trace and to do it most efficiently. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, the way that you put that with how the, the, the role models are kind of changing. If, if people who are starting climbing right now don't have that older peer to kind of look towards to teach them how there's these other figures that really can step into those roles as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I'm gonna ask just a little bit of a different question. Um, and I'm with the Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. And what we say and what our guiding principle is, is that um, everybody has the right and responsibility to help shape foreign relations and it's done as easily as one handshake at a time. So in other words, Everybody is a diplomat when it comes to meeting people from around the world and meeting people from around the nations. Um, do you see yourself as a diplomat? And if so, do you have any stories where you've been able to connect with people from around the world through climbing and any messages about how others can embrace that citizen diplomacy? I do compete. Um internationally a few times a year and I get to know the people who compete for every other country that shows up um, and kind of through these competitions uh, we get to know each other and we become good friends and uh, it makes for some really interesting conversations with um, you know people of people from all over the world and uh, that's been a, a big learning experience for me um, especially, you know, speaking with uh, people from cultures that are quite different from the classic European-American culture. We don't always acknowledge it and we don't always know, but these conversations that you're having when you're competing are so important, right? And it might feel like a casual conversation, but you're spreading that message and you're spreading American values or your own values at the, at the very least. And so those are valuable, super valuable so I think my question is kind of like a new genre of, of questions. I don't think we've really touched on it before, but um, do you think there are any programs or, or is the climbing community interested in starting programs to help, um, for example, especially like juvenile detention centers, like climb and like start climbing to like, I don't know, instead of, because I guess I'm very much like on prison reform rather than just like shoving people into like a little like room and say be better um and expect them to be better but I think like 
having, you know, that physical activity would really help. So do you know of any programs or like, are people interested in starting those programs? Yeah, that's kind of my question. Well, let me say, uh, that's a fantastic idea. And um, I don't personally know of any programs that, uh, that target juvenile detention centers or uh, prisons. But, you know, if I had to guess, I think they're out there. Um, climbing, I, I've heard a lot of stories within the climbing community of people um, turning their life around for for the pursuit of climbing. Um, you know, dealing with drug addiction or tendencies towards violence, um, climbing can be a saving grace. I would love to know more about who your peers were growing up. Who who was who was the person who threw you into this to begin with? Well, I grew up on a youth competition climbing team. So I grew up indoors, climbing indoors. And, uh, you know, there were maybe 10 or 12 of us that were all the same, about the same age. And we grew up climbing together. So in a way, we were learning a lot from each other. Um, we had a few different coaches cycle throughout the years. Uh, some of the big, the people who had a big influence on me were uh, Jeff Pedersen, Noah Bigwood, and uh, Kyle O'Mara. They just they're like local legends pretty much. Um, and they taught me a lot about how to compete and, but more importantly, how to enjoy all the aspects of outdoor climbing, including the success and including the failure. And thinking about yourself as kind of this up and coming, this next generation is really going to be looking to people like you, especially when there's things like the Olympics, like the Olympics is going to kind of create this platform globally where people are looking at the four of you um, as this team. So how do you kind of balance that pressure? And also, what do you think about when you think of representing the US? To be honest, I, I don't feel too much pressure. Um, why that is, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I just don't think enough about it. <laughs> But, um, you know, I think that uh, it's important for us to, being a professional climber, I feel like I definitely have more free time than the average uh, nine to five blue collar worker. Um, and so I do consider it my responsibility to use that time to educate myself and spread my knowledge, um, you know, to people who don't have the time or the energy to, to do that research themselves. And I know that I'm not the only person on the U.S. team who feels that way. Um, I'm also inspired by my team members and the initiatives that they've taken and the education that they put themselves through. Um, and that helps me to try to be better as well. Follow up to that question. With climbing becoming an Olympic sport and all the additional exposure and media that the sport can expect, commercial gyms are anticipating increases in membership and general interest in climbing. Many of the students that are here on the call today are ambassadors of the sport. They are either climbers or aspiring climbers um, or spend a lot of time with climbers. What recommendations do you have for these students to represent and advocate for the climbing community effectively as it increases in exposure? Let me start by saying it's cool that you guys are um, a bit of climbers yourself. That, that makes me a bit more comfortable. <laughs> it's a big responsibility and uh, to be to be an advocate for the climbing community and to be an educator for the next generation. And uh, I think you can take it 
as seriously as you want to. Don't let it be this pressure that uh, weighs you down. But certainly, if you find yourself in a situation where somebody is behaving unethically or that you know is against the greater climbing values, um, I would be incredibly proud of you if you could just speak up and uh, let them know why you think what they're doing is wrong. And I think through that gradual change and uh, you know assertive action, um, the climate community can remain this, it can maintain its spirit of uh, connectedness and caring for the places that it utilizes. Uh, speaking of this like up and coming generation of climbers, do you see like a, a like a ideological fracture between like people that want to climb anywhere and people that like really see some spots as like spots that you need to respect and not climb and and uh, uh, yeah, just respect them, respect the the, the routes. Perhaps. Um... I think that when you're new to climbing, um, it's also exciting and it's really easy to get sucked into this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of freedom in climbing and it's easy to get entranced by that and think, oh, you know, if I'm out climbing, I'm free to do anything. I'm free to climb whatever I want. That's what I love about it. But a big struggle of the climbing community is um, respecting, especially like privately owned land, sometimes the landowners, they'll get tired of climbers on their land, and so they'll shut it down. And the community has seen that happen so many times that we're getting a lot better at seeing these things becoming problems and then talking to the landowners, coming to an agreement, and um, you know, making, making sure the climbing community behaves in a way that is acceptable, that will maintain these climbing areas being open for, for everyone. And... I definitely am proud of the way that the climate community respects these boundaries and surprised sometimes. I'm like, wow, you know, everybody's respecting these rules. That's crazy, but we do it. Yeah, that's good to hear. What have your experiences been uh, with people who have participated in outdoor therapy or what are your thoughts on climbing as a, a medium for outdoor therapy? Well, I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about uh, the core principles of, of outdoor therapy. Um, but if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say that climbing um, could be like an enhancement for the therapeutic nature of, uh, of nature. Um, during climbing, you, you challenge yourself, um, you feel these strong emotions, uh, you feel fear, you feel relief when you're safe. Uh, you challenge your mind to solve these unique puzzles that go hand in hand with your your movement. And uh, I think that those elements can enhance the experience and the connectedness to nature for somebody looking for uh, therapy. Well, thank you so much for your conversation today, Nathaniel. I want to officially bestow you with the title of citizen diplomat if you had not previously considered yourself to be one because you absolutely are. Um, I would be honored. Everything you. that you are doing is exactly the kind of principles that we at UCCD look for um, and we value that so much. Um, and we really want 
citizens to feel empowered um, when they're having these global discussions, whether you're representing yourself in Utah or abroad. Um, and so we are so proud of you as a state. Um, and so just thank you for joining us with, for this conversation. And it's, it's great to hear from you. Next Fireside Chat will open for registration tomorrow. So it'll be our last episode for fall 2020 and it'll feature Kiki Sharma. She will discuss her journey from growing up in a refugee camp in Nepal to becoming a Utah refugee restaurant owner and manager of Bhutan Restaurant. I hope that you're all able to join us for that episode. It'll be a great way to support Utah's refugee and immigrant community, as well as support a local business. Have a wonderful week. These fireside chats are brought to you by Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. Special thanks to Nathaniel Coleman, our guest speaker, Westminster College as our continuous partner, Felicia Maxfield Barrett, our executive director, and I'm Emma Russell. I'll see you on the next edition of Fireside Chats.